Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we're going to be talking Colorado elk, mule deer, and goat hunting with Louis Foltz of AEI Guide and Outfitter. Uh, Louis, how you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks, Jay. Thanks for uh, thanks for the opportunity to chat elk elk hunting and deer hunting and goat hunting and fly fishing. Love love talking about yeah. this stuff. Thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, for sure. It was good to um, meet you in person at the Western Hunting Expo uh, in Utah, and um, uh, it was, uh, you know, I think we had chatted before somewhere on social media or something, and, and it was good to kind of put a name to a face, and i um, glad we could get on and have a podcast today. We've got our uh, Colorado uh, deadline coming up here April 3rd. And I uh, wanted to, uh, I, I had Cliff Gray with uh, Flat Tops Wilderness Guides already on talking about Colorado kind of in his area. And I wanted to uh, have you on and talk about uh, the mule deer hunting, uh, elk hunting, and, and goat hunting in, in your areas. Um, first, Louie, uh, why don't you tell um, me and the listeners a little bit about you and your operation, where you're located, et cetera. Yeah, absolutely. So our um, our outfit has um, primarily had a had a focus on guiding uh, fishing and hunting trips in the Gunnison Basin in central part of Colorado. I think I think when a lot of people uh, you know they hear about Gunnison, the Gunnison Valley. It's not, it's not a, you know, new terminology for guys who are familiar with, with Western hunting and fishing, and especially Colorado. So we kind of operate in, in that, you know, in that Gunnison Basin, and kind of our main uh, backyard or wheelhouse is, is Unit 55, um, which is, uh, you know, is a pretty decent size area, and uh, we, we've got a good chunk of that that we're permitted to guide in. Uh, and so for those you know, one, one for of those listening that, that I'm sorry, Louis, for those listening that don't really know the Gunnison Basin, um, can you give kind of a geographical approximation of of where Gunnison lies and or where 55 lies in relation to Gunnison? Yeah, absolutely. So Gunnison, like I'd mentioned, kind of central part of the state. Crested Butte is another close by town that a lot of people kind of recognize. Um, but if you, as far as a you know geographic distance, you know we're about three three hours from Gunnison is about three hours from from Colorado Springs Pueblo area, um, you know directly west essentially. Uh, the mountain range, some of the, the familiar mountain ranges around us here, the Sawatch Mountain Range that. It has a large, you know, portion in this part of the state is the Continental Divide that comes up through um, before it kind of turns and goes further up north into the state. But the West Elks Wilderness is a big, is a big, you know, kind of wilderness mountain range area that people are familiar with. Uh, we're on the south uh, side of the Collegiate Peaks area, um, as well as the Maroon Bell Snowmass Wilderness area, kind of just just north of Crested Butte area. Um, Fossil Ridge Wilderness Area is another kind of kind of known entity in this this Gunnison Basin, and then south of that's kind of all the stuff west, I guess north northwest of Gunnison, and then south of Gunnison we've got 
some, you know, Powderhorn Wilderness and, and Lagarita Wilderness areas, um, the kind of the Lake City area that's south southwest of Gunnison is kind of still considered kind of Gunnison Basin there. But lots of, you know, we're kind of right smack in the middle of significant, you know, mountain ranges in the state. For sure. Tell us a little bit about yourself and then starting your uh, outfitting business and, and kind of ha some history behind that. Yeah, for sure. And, and I, you know, one of the things I missed there in that last part of the, the description, the unit that we operate mostly in is Unit 55, and that's that's north up in kind of the back end of the, the south end of the Collegiate Peaks. And uh, it's at the north north end of, you know, the Gunnison Basin, I would say. And so some of that 55 goes over behind Crested Butte and uh, the Maroon Bells. It actually kind of tucks into a little bit of the Maroon Bells there. But um, anyway, geographically, that's kind of where we are in the Gunnison Basin. It's kind of north of Gunnison about it. But at least our facility and our base camp is about an hour north of Gunnison. Um, but we've been, AEI has been in the uh, outfitting uh, arena or business here in the Gunnison Basin since 1984. Um, our, uh, our, our founder, uh, Tim Kemp, uh, started, you know, he's, he's from Texas, and, and he, he wanted a place where he could bring people um, into the wilderness, whether it's a backpacking adventure or hunting and fishing adventure, and um, have that platform to be able to teach people about leadership principles and spiritual principles and have, you know, a, a lifetime <laughs> adventure, so to speak. And so that's kind of how our, our company, Adventure Experiences, which is where the AEI comes from, um, kind of got started. So we've been outfitting in Gunnison Valley since 84. Um, I have been hunting and fishing this area probably uh, maybe about 12, 12 years or so and maybe longer than that, 12, 13 years, and then I came on board with AEI to manage the outfit and oversee the operation there at the camp. Uh, this is my sixth year now, so I've been doing it for six years. Okay, and where did you grow up, Louis? I grew up in Virginia, the uh, Shenandoah Valley uh, of Virginia, a little town called Fort Valley, Virginia, and... Um, went to school at Virginia Tech in Blacksburg and kind of out, you know, after you know, I have a degree in wildlife biology and coming out of um, coming out of college, I had worked at a dude ranch in, in southern Colorado um, in Antonito, Colorado as a wrangler and just kind of fell in love with the state and the adventure of the Rocky Mountains. And um, so after obligations were fulfilled, I graduated college I pretty much packed up everything I had in a U-Haul and headed out to Colorado with no job and no place to live. Nice. Nice. Um, before that, before you moved out, uh, were you um, infatuated, so to speak, with hunting and fishing, or was it uh, the more that you moved out to Colorado, more opportunities presented itself, and you just dove right into that, or were you already uh, really into the outdoors? Yeah, I, it, it's been kind of a part of my, you know, significant part of my family's heritage, hunting and fishing, and and you know, as as I can remember, as uh, you know, as 
far back as I can remember either either my dad and 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 you know his cousins and um, his you know his brother uh, his dad going out on hunting trips and it wasn't too long you know to where they were they were taking my brother and I out on those hunting trips as well so it's kind of a it ingrained in my heritage and in my blood and and DNA to to be passionate about all things outdoors um, hunting and fishing is is kind of always been a part of my my life and of course you know you're a little bit lim- more limited scope in Virginia is what you can what you can chase around the woods but um, so yeah that's you know growing up uh, shooting squirrels and uh, my mom making squirrel pot pie and you know if you kind of the the, the motto was if, if you kill it then you got to eat it and so that's kind of you know has kind of evolved obviously now to my family and and kind of our you know that's pretty much all we have is is you know we kind of live off of the the meat that i harvest throughout the year so um but yeah so so it, it's not a new thing i think it was for sure once i moved to colorado because there's so many more opportunities to hunt different species and and you know to 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 fish world-class trout fisheries and waters that uh, it's it's only amplified you know once i moved to colorado but it certainly wasn't anything that was new to me before coming out here good stuff um why don't you take a second to uh, break down the Colorado draw and application process? I know we've got a deadline coming up here April 3rd, and um, for those that haven't caught prior podcasts, um, how someone would go about uh, applying and, and drawing a tag in Colorado and um, kind of a general overview, and then you know, as, as it relates to your units and such uh, or any, any special things that you would normally have conversations uh, you know, with people that would call you, kind of walk through that that whole process. Yeah, sure. And and you know, one of the the the, the most talked about questions, at least this year, is related to the new licensing systems that the uh, that Parks and Wildlife has has put out there. And and um, so it's you know it's new and fresh for everybody, including all the you know all the guys outfits that are kind of directing people um one one thing that that, you know i know is a little bit confusing initially for guys who have you know either been putting in for points or just going to be applying for a tag this year to to hunt colorado is that you have to first look up your old account um, or create a new account for this for this new licensing system and and basically what you need to make that happen um and, and this specifically i'm talking about guys who have you know done something in Colorado, whether it's applied for points or hunted in Colorado, you have to look up your old account before you you know can do a new application online. So in order to do that, you need your your CID or the Colorado identification number to be able to to create that account. So that's kind of you know starting point one is is either creating an account or looking up your old camp account and they'll you know they'll kind of implement all your old information into that new account that you create. Um, so that's kind of the step one as it relates to an application in Colorado, and, and this is kind of a new system this year. Um, it, it, that's usually a first question you get because it does look a, you know, pretty, pretty different than the last system. Um, what I've found in <clears throat> working with guys so far this year 
is that it's an easier system to navigate than the old system, which obviously was probably their, you know, their the whole reasoning behind them creating a new system. Um, so, so that's kind of step one, uh, you know, and, and you know, kind of a new thing I'll, I'll mention uh, in Colorado this year. Previously, with every uh, tag and even preference point that you applied for, you had to front the cost of that license when you applied for it um, or preference point. They had to reduce cost for preference points, but you still had to front a considerable amount of money to do that. You don't have to do that anymore. Um, some of the changes that they're in process making, I think in order to save save the division some some resources and some monies, they've kind of gotten rid of that. So you only will have to pay for the tag if you draw out in June or May or whenever those things get released, um, which is a significant difference because that you know there, there's obviously some 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 positives and some negatives for that reality um, and that new that new kind of structure that they're doing. I will say that there's also a you know there is a caveat to that to where if you apply just for preference points, if you have not held a license. Uh, in the past year of annual license of some kind that includes an annual fishing license, then you will be charged $40 per species that you apply as a preference point. Um, so that's, that's something that's a little, you know, a little bit of a twist that not a lot of people kind of know about. Um, and then there's, I think, a $3 application fee per species that you put in for a, a preference point. Um, so that, that, that's kind of a big thing and, and you know, kind of the discussion our dialogue revolves around, you know, are we looking at significant point creep in, in Colorado now as a result of that? Because, it, you know, there's a significant amount of people that are going to be uh, applying for, for preference points that have never applied before because that stipulation of front and the cost is, has now been eliminated. Um, and so, you know, the ob obvious benefit is that the guys who couldn't maybe afford to to you know, apply for points in Colorado now are able to, and even for some, especially for some of those bigger species like goat, sheep, you know, etc. So um, that's a big that's a big difference this year uh, for Colorado, and we'll kind of see how that that plays out. Um, but that's you know something very noteworthy worthy as it relates to the new system here. And. In general, Colorado has uh, limited draw areas for uh, elk, meaning uh, they have over-the-counter and limited draw areas. And then pretty much all of deer is, is limited draw. And there's not many over-the-counter opportunities for deer. Um, talk about, and maybe you know, maybe it precedes you as far as when it, when the state went to limited draw elk mm -hmm. uh, from, you know, pretty much all over-the-counter elk. Talk a little bit about your perspective, um, the pros and cons of, you know, limited draw. Yeah, you know, it's a, it's a conversation that is uh, pretty, pretty, near and, and semi-fresh in the Gunnison Basin because the Gunnison Basin and, and some of the units that would be included in the Gunnison Basin would be 55, 54, 
Um, it may be that some some 53 stuff, 551 for sure, and then there's 66 and 67 who who you know those units south of Gunnison have been limited, I think, a little bit longer than than the northern part of the Gunnison Basin. But it, you know these these areas 55, um, 54, 551 for sure. Um, you know, they were, un that was an unlimited archery unit. Um, gosh, it's been probably eight, eight, ten years, I think, since they made that change. But that's always kind of been a big, you know, a big debate as, uh, you know, limiting opportunity, um, you know, is that is that going to hurt the, you know, and, and, and the conversation, I think, revolves around opportunity specifically for, for residents of Colorado that live close by that have always, you know, had the freedom to jump from unit to unit around here in an unlimited situation. Now you have to apply specifically for that, for that area. I think one of the, you know, one of the unique things about our, you know, are these units down here, specifically our unit 55, is that related to archery hunting, um, you know, rifle hunting is kind of a different conversation because it's, you know, it's a, it's a um, first season for Unit 55. It really kind of takes one preference point as a non-resident to draw that tag. And second and third seasons in 55 are unlimited licenses, so you can get a bull tag over the counter. Um, but, but archery specifically, I, I think it's kind of a good balance. You know, I've seen it to be a good balance because they, they set a limitation on how many guys can hunt in the area um but at the same time you know johnny joe hunter can't go into walmart the day before the season pick up a license and come out here and hunt so they have a pretty pretty decent amount of tags that they allocate for archery hunters to where you can you can draw the tag every year if you apply first choice um but you know you, you don't have the concern of everybody and their brother you know without planning coming out here to hunt elk and so that that you know i think that creates somewhat of an advantage in my opinion to um still be able to get a license easy but there's also some limitations there um, and in fact in our unit you can actually draw the tag on second choice you have a 70 percent chance of drawing the the archery tag in 55 uh, we're we're, we're, we're still on elk, yep, on elk, and so that's 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 kind of a unique thing. So talk thing about guys... the significance of that, Louis. Um, talk about the significance of being able to draw it with a pretty good chance on the second choice. What that yeah. allows someone to do with their first choice. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, I I would be kind of a prime example of of the guy that that benefits. I have thirteen elk preference points right now, I believe, and and I'm I've been able to you know, be able to draw the archery tag out here in 55 every year um, on second choice. So what I'm doing is still accumulate a preference point, first choice, and then second choice I also can, you know, draw out on a, on a you know, on, on this 55 archery tag, which is limited. It's an easier tag to acquire. Like I said, first, if you apply for our tag first choice, 100%, you're going to draw the tag. And that's pretty consistent with those, 54, 55, 551 tags in the Gunnison Basin. Um, 66 and 67, which are south of us, they they take you know they take a little bit more to get that. You can't you don't have that you know that scenario down there in their southern southern units of the Gunnison Basin. But um, anyway, so that's you know that can be a really good thing where guys aren't stuck. You know you have an, an area in my opinion that's better than a lot of the over the counter areas. 
but necessarily, you know, you, you don't necessarily see the pressure that you do in some of those over-the-counter areas. So you can still, you know, if you're in a situation where you're building points towards a specific area, unit, or hunt, you can still get a, you know, a decent archery tag and, and hunt elk, and that's, that's an advantage in my opinion. Louis, let's talk a little bit about your elk. We can come back to deer and goat and the other stuff. But let's, while we're on elk, um, you're, you're saying, and I'm looking at the Go Hunt Insider um, odds as well, uh, Unit 55 Archery, if you put it in first choice as a non-resident, uh, it's, it's a 100% draw. And it, why, explain... Explain why that that is a better opportunity than, say, an over-the-counter unit. Um, is it just because of the amount of limited licenses? And have you seen, in comparison to over-the-counter units where everyone can go, where even though there's an abundant amount of tags, it still is a limited license? Yeah, and I, and I think that's it, is that, you know, a guy who wants to come out, a guy or gal who wants to come out to the Gunnison Basin to, to hunt elk in archery season, you've got to plan ahead, um, and, and you've got to, you know, you've got to have a game plan. And, and I think that, you know, what happens with a lot of those over-the-counter units, and I used to hunt units uh, in the North Park area, unit 1828, uh, for a number of years when I first moved out to Colorado, um, what, what you saw there is, is, you know, a significant amount of pressure from, from going, you know, even as far as going deep into the wilderness, you're still running into your guys and, and, and outfitters and, you know, and there, everything in between from, from base camp set up at a, at the end of a road, you know, you're, you're running into significant hunting pressure. And I felt like, especially with the, you know, the growing, um, Colorado, Colorado's, you know, over, um, arching growth. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's only going to get worse in those over the counter areas in my opinion. And, and, you know, so, so, you know, moving back and looking back at, at the Gunnison Basin unit, specifically our unit 55, um, it's a good balance because they, even though the tags are still easier to get and, you know, they, they've got a pretty decent tag allocation number that makes them easy to get, there is still a cutoff. And, and, you know, like I said before, you can't just go get a tag at your local Walmart the day before the season starts and, and set up a camp in the Gunnison Basin. You've got to have it already pre-planned and, and planned out in advance. And that, and that, that in nature, the way that, um, revolves around allocation, tag allocations, and access to tags being limited. It it creates less hunting pressure, um, and and I think you you know I think you kind of see hunters that are a little bit more serious about their you know about their hunt, and and you know you don't get as many kind of weekend warrior types, if you will. Yeah, and speaking specifically about your elk hunts in Unit 55 on your website, um, you've got some pretty cool videos. Um, you know, are you hunting all public land? Or are you hunting some private land? How, how do your hunts work? You know, are you backpacking? Yeah. Are you horseback? What's the status of your elk? Yeah, that's a good question. We're, we're a little, I'd say we're kind of a non-traditional outfit. We, we do not do the traditional, you know, horse 
horse pack-in, you know, wall tent scenario. We have a base camp that's centrally located in the area. Um, we have a, a, about 2,000 acres there on, on site and um, uh, several outbuildings and cabins and a dining hall facility. So, you know, we're going out. But all that to say, we, we kind of offer, you know, three options for a hunt. We offer what we call a fully guided hunt. Um, and, a, a, and also a self-guided hunt where food and lodging is, is with us, um, and then a semi-guided hunt. And that's where we're utilizing our private property, a couple thousand acres of private property, and we do stand hunts only on those semi-guided hunts. And, and, you know, the unique thing about that, we don't guide on our private property. All of our guiding and all of our self-guided hunts are on in Gunnison National Forest and Collegiate Peaks Wilderness area um, off property. But the the neat thing about that semi-guided hunt, the stand hunt that we offer, it's a great option for guys who just aren't physically capable of, you know, climbing to 12,000 foot in some of these rugged mountain peaks that are around here to chase elk. They, you know, guys that have some physical limitations can still have a chance at killing an elk um, to where you know, they they don't have to kill themselves to get where the elk are. So so we kind of keep our private land just for those semi-guided hunts and stand hunt only scenarios. Um, all of our guided hunts and self-guided hunts, we're we're leaving the base camp every day. Most of the time, we're just taking four-drive vehicles and sometimes ATVs or side by sides uh, to get to the different trailheads and areas that that we're hunting and and. You know, we're we're parking and we're we're getting after it from there, and and you know, just because of the fact that we do that non-traditional style, we're able to be really mobile and move from you know 40 miles in one direction in the context of a day if we need to, and so we're not, you know, the sometimes the disadvantage of having a base camp that's in the wilderness area, kind of a packing camp, is that if you're struggling to find elk in that area, you're going to struggle the whole rest of the week. And we have the advantage of being able to, to go from one side of the unit to the other, really, uh, in, in a matter of a day and, and kind of change our hunting location. Um, and, and we found that to be the most effective way to hunt our, our permanent area. And we have about 370,000 acres that we can hunt. So that's a significant amount of territory and we couldn't utilize it unless we did it the way that we do it by by staying mobile and always coming back at night to the base camp to have a good hot meal and sleep in a real bed and kind of our you know it's kind of created our our philosophy our hunting philosophy to you know if you eat well and you sleep well then you're going to hunt well also you get to get a shower every day yeah and you get to get a shower and and you know, because elk, elk really care about, you know, how well, how good you smell, right? <laughs> Let's talk specifically about your actual archery elk hunts um, and maybe describe the season starts the end of August and goes kind of towards the last week of September. Um, from throughout the season, you know, you've got your, you know, first few days, the first week, and then kind of talk about the transition that you see the elk moving through, you know, uh, staging for the rut and what have you, and, and um, you know, how, how the month-long season plays out in your, uh, in your situation there. Yeah, that's, that's you know, that's obviously when, when guys are calling up, 
inquiring about the outcome. That's you know usually question 101 is, hey, what what do you recommend is the best the best week to hunt elk, right? And it, you know that's even for seasoned guys, we still kind of wrestle with that question. I think because it the dynamics of how that those rut phase change throughout you know from year to year based on the season structure is you know it's different so um we fortunately for us and you know i accredit it to being in a higher altitude area our base camp is at ten thousand feet um and and you know most of our hunting is from nine thousand to eleven five tree line um but we you know we're seeing we're seeing ruddy bulls, uh, ruddy elk uh, from the end of August all the way through. You know, obviously it, it ramps up as September goes along. But, you know, I've, I've called in bulls that came in screaming day one, you know, the end of August. Um, and so we see activity from late all August in our area all the way, obviously, through sometimes even second rifle season, which is third week of October. We're seeing bulls that are you know, still bugling and, and cows coming into second estrus and, you know, rutting activity even as, as deep into to October as that third week. Um, and, and, you know, one of, one of the, <clears throat> again, coming back to that question, what's the best week to hunt, our, our, our shot opportunity um, is pretty even across the board, to be honest with you, from week one to week four and we kind of break our you know break our season structure down when we guide into four different weeks and uh and, and you know i think the, the interesting dynamic i think people get this you know this this vibe or this theory that the early part of the season isn't very good to hunt well that's i just don't think that's true and and you know really what it takes is is understanding where the elk are in that rut phase and adjusting your strategy according to, you know, where they are in that phase. And you can be just as successful in the early season as you can late in September. And it may look, you know, your strategy certainly is probably going to look different, but, uh, you know, the, the possibility exists that you could have a phenomenal outcome on day one, you know, August 25th, um, just, just as well likely as you could, you know, the last day, uh, September 23rd or whatever it is this year. What what kind of forecast, you know, obviously Colorado's um, precipitation and, you know, snowpack and such is, is definitely down. What kind of impact do you think that will have on your elk hunting? Will it make it better or worse, or do you think it will have any effect at all? You know, I don't. I don't think that it'll have a whole lot of effect for us. Um, we have uh, the Gunnison specifically down in the valley. I think we're maybe at about sixty-five percent snowpack right now. But up towards where our camp is, the northern part of the uh, of the of the unit um, in the area, I think we're. Gosh, I would. You know, we were. I snowmobiled in there a couple weeks ago, and we were hitting snowdrifts four or five foot. Um, and I think they're probably around 75%. So we are still down, but I don't. It's not significant enough to where I think it's really going to make much of a difference at all, to be honest with you. And um, you know, of course, we still have a little bit of winter and into spring, where generally we get a lot of our, you know, we still get a lot of our snowpack. So we could we could easily catch up at this point. Um, and even if we don't, I still think we're okay, especially in the northern part where our camp is located. So I don't think it's going to be a big difference for us specifically this year. Okay. 
Um, back to your archery elk hunts, as far as um, methods of, you know, how you guys are hunting, primarily in, 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 you know, just talking about yourself, when you're guiding clients, are you actively, you know, trying to call elk? And, and um, I want to talk a little bit about that as far as responsiveness uh, in your unit, in your 370,000-acre concession. Um, you know, you get bulls that are pretty active and pretty, you know, wanting to bugle and wanting to act like elk. Um, obviously, I'm sure it depends on the day and such, but, you know, overall, is it is it pretty good hunting? Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, I, you know, our <clears throat> from day one, you know, we have the opportunity of finding a bull that, that's, that, you know, can get fired up pretty easily um, in that pre, you know, pre-rut pre stage. And so our main strategy in archery season is let's let's cover as much ground as possible, work as hard as we can to to find elk who are willing to play and be vocal. Um, and and as you know, as you probably, I'm sure you know that you know a lot of times in that early season they they may be vocal, but when they come in, a lot of times they'll come in quiet and those type of things, which which kind of is different than you know on the back end of the rut, but. Uh, all that to say, our main strategy is let's cover as much ground as possible to find find a bull that's at least initially vocal, and and you know we're going to try and get up in his wheelhouse and and bring him into us. Awesome stuff. What kind of just off the subject a little bit? Well, on the subject, but off the subject of applications and what have you. Um, mm. What kind of elk calls do you like to use? Oh gosh, I. Um, you know, I, me personally, I'm kind of a you know diaphragm guy, which I do a lot of my calls with. Um, I use Rocky Mountain Game calls. The All Star is kind of my my go talk, go to read call, um, and you know their their bugle. You know, I use their bugle tube as well. It's been a great a great tube for me. One of the best that I've found out there. And then um, I have kind of a array of, of secondary cow calls that I'll use, read style calls. I've had a hyper lip, you know, single by Primos for, for years and years and always have that around my neck. And last year I kind of played around with a, a new one that uh, um, that uh, that's from the, the Carlton Native series. It's, it's called the Green Weenie, um, just kind of a, you know, real loud call that you can kind of throw out there and and it, you know, it has a good kind of nasally reverb to it. Um, but uh, those are just a few of the calls. I kind of, I've got, you know, some other kind of custom ones, one that's made with a, you know, a, a, uh, out of a, a deer antler. Um, and, you know, just I just like having a little bit of variety on occasions. But I'd say, you know, 80% of the time, maybe more, I'm, I'm just using my diaphragm call to create most calls and sounds that I need. Um, but those are just some of the ones that, and I like playing around with different stuff and whatnot, but my go-to is that all-star diaphragm call. Good stuff. I'm looking at the uh, Go Hunt Insider um, draw odds, and I noticed that the first rifle season in Unit 55, which is October 13th through the 17th, is a 58% draw on with zero points and a 100% draw with one point. Um, right. In, in speaking about your rifle hunts, let's transition into your rifle hunts uh, sure. or your firearms hunts. 
my one question would be, how is the muzzleloader hunt? I would assume it's pretty dang good. Um, and then as you move into these first, second, third rifle seasons, um, talk a little bit about how uh, those firearm seasons go in your concession. Sure, yeah. <clears throat> so so we'll kind of just start with muzzleloader because it's still kind of in that, you know, the third week of September kind of prime you know, rut phase. Um, it's a phenomenal hunt in our area, and, and you know, our our guided hunters have enjoyed a hundred percent shot opportunity um, for that muzzleloader tag. Now, it does take some points. I believe that last year you kind of needed five five preference points to guarantee drawing that muzzleloader tag in Unit Fifty Five. Yeah. So it does take some points, but it's a it, but it's an awesome hunt, and and you know, another kind of big advantage I think that 55 has over your your you know your standard over the counter hunt is that or unit is that we you know the area isn't necessarily managed for quality um, and and you know trophy class bulls but they're here you know there there are some big you know we've killed a, we killed a 390 um, a few years ago in first rifle season and you know we we take the handful of bulls over 300 inches every year um, you know, 340, 350 type class since I've, bulls since I've been here, we've we've been able to take in unit 55. So it doesn't mean that those big bulls are around every corner and around every tree, but they are here because this, you know, the way that, that the unit's managed and the ruggedness of some of this terrain out here allows for some of those those bulls to reach, you know, older age class and, and maturity. And so that's that's kind of, you know, really cool thing about this area, and that's probably true of a lot of areas. You can still find big bulls in Colorado, but this area I feel like has, you know, a better percentage of those more mature bulls because there's so much country and the country's so big and rugged. Sometimes they can get in these areas and grow big. But um, all that to say, you know, it's still managed for opportunity, which means there's, you know, there's still a bunch of, you know, a bunch of elk running around um, that are legal bulls, four points or better. Um, and, you know, firearm and then kind of, seasons. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to move into the, you know, go move into firearms and, and you know, our, our, you're right on that statistic. What I'm doing is, you know, from an outfit perspective, you know, I'm making, I'm, I'm having our guys that want to hunt with us in first rifle season. I want them to have one preference point before we're putting them in the application. Um, to, to hunt that, that year because we know that one point equals 100% success in draw. Um, zero point, like you said, I think you said 58%. And so, I, you know, we want to make sure guys are coming to hunt with us. We know they're getting tagged. And so we're kind of, you know, in a process of being a year, year and a half out in, in how we're booking those hunts for the first rifle season. And then, of course, the second rifle season is an over-the-counter tag, and so it's easy to, you know, it's easy to pull a tag for that. Talk a little bit about your elk in 55 as far as as you move into the firearm season, certainly when you get into the third and fourth season, um, with the terrain that you have and vegetation. Um, I've seen it at times where sometimes those third and fourth seasons, although they've been just getting pounded, you know, as you move into, say, that fourth season, you can get weather, you can get snow, um, the, the, you know, they're forced to be out feeding. They want to be up on their feet. Um, do you see a change in the quality of hunt maybe, you know, as it progresses or 
Is it the opposite where you see them very, very skittish and, um, you know, few and far between? I've seen it kind of, if you have the right weather, that fourth season can actually be really, really good hunt. Yeah, and, and you know, the, 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 there's generalizations there that, that probably exist in a lot of the areas. We actually, because of our altitude and our environment, we're in the top end of that migration route for, for you know, for the Gunnison herd, elk specifically. And um, we only hunt uh, through the second rifle season because of that reality that, that elk are, you know, regardless of how much weather is thrown at us in that, you know, 10,000 feet base camp that we have up there, um, you know, they're, they're still, time is telling them it's time to, time to move. Um, and so, you know, a lot of times by after that second rifle season, depending on, you know, what, what the snow conditions are like and what weather's thrown at us, they could completely push all the elk out of that northern part of the area you know, as they're making their transition down into the Gunnison Basin for wintering. Um, and so, anyway, that's that's one reason why we only we only hunt through that second rifle season in our area um, is because of that reality. But I do know the basin in general, third, you know, a lot of guys, I heard 55 guys who um, either hunted on their own with or with some of the other, other, other outfits in 55, they did really well in the third season just based on kind of how, you know, weather, you know, timing of the season played out last year. I heard that it was a really, really solid third season. And then fourth season is a little bit more limited season where they don't give out nearly as many as many tags um, as second and third season. And so that's that's usually the big kind of hit or miss season, I think, is that fourth fourth rifle season out here because you just you have no idea if those elk are going to get stuck in transition based on you know limited snow or bad weather um, and then they're just you know they've been pressured for all those weeks leading up to that point so it could be really hard um, or if they do get pushed down that's when I think that fourth season can be you know pretty pretty good. I want to transition into your deer, but before we do that, I want to thank the sponsors of this podcast. We've been talking about Go Hunt Insider and talking about the different draw odds for Unit 55, and want to remind the listeners that if you're not a Go Hunt Insider member, all of these Western states with all these application periods that we're, you know, all our deadlines that we have coming up, the Go Hunt Insider is the best resource out there to be able to take every state you can become an insider member and you take every state break down every state look at your draw odds you know even the guys that have zero points one point i mean um, you can look at all your opportunities out there you know even going with the guys that have been applying for many many years and have 15 18 20 points or more um, it's a great resource to see where you stack up compared to other uh, hunters that are applying for the same hunts Uh, if you go to gohunt.com insider and click on the blue Join Now button, you can use the J. Scott promo code, and you're actually going to get a $50 Go Hunt Gear Shop gift card, and you can automatically uh, redeem those points to buy stuff immediately. Uh, and that Gear Shop is uh, a bunch of items that have been curated uh, by uh, the guys at Go Hunt um, specifically for you know backcountry hunts and specific hunting needs and so it's a it's a pretty cool uh opportunity to um you know get great gear but more more importantly if you use that j scott promo code you're going to get a 50 dollars 
uh, Gear Shop uh, gift card. So I want to thank GoHunt for their sponsorship. I want to encourage you guys to sign up for a membership there with GoHunt Insider. Also want to thank Kuyu Ultralight Hunting. You can go to Kuyu, that's K-U-I-U.com, and see why Kuyu makes the best ultralight hunting gear out there. That's all I wear and uh, have been an avid supporter for a long time. I want to thank them for their sponsorship. And then Phonescope.com. Uh, Phonescope makes the best digiscoping adapters with any telephone, any cell phone to any optic, whether it be spotting scope or binocular and soon-to-be rifle scopes. Uh, if you use the JScott16 promo code, you're going to get a 10% uh, discount there at Phonescope.com. And last but not least, the Optics Authority, the Outdoorsman's, uh, Cody Nelson and his crew there at the Outdoorsman's.com. Uh, you can use the JScott promo code at Outdoorsman's.com to get a 10% discount, or you can call them on the phone, 1-800-291-8065. I want to thank them for their sponsorship. Uh, they've got great tripods, great optics. Uh, they've got the new Atlas trainer that just got all kinds of great gear. Go check them out at Outdoorsman's.com. Louie, let's talk a little bit about your deer hunting. And, um, you know, the elk is one thing, and, and I know you love elk hunting, uh, but Colorado uh, has a great reputation for phenomenal uh, mule deer hunting. Uh, talk a little bit about uh, your mule deer hunts from the archery to muzzleloader into the rifle seasons, your quality of deer, et cetera. Yeah, so, you know, for deer hunters, I don't think that the uh, the Gunnison Basin is kind of new news for a lot of a lot of guys that know Colorado and deer hunting. Um, but, uh, you know, one of the questions I get pretty regularly now um, is, you know, how are the deer doing? Of course, we were kind of, you know, had moved past the, hey, how are the deer doing from the, the big winter kill, 07, 08, to, you know, 2017, horror stories about what happened to the deer herd and and so that's always kind of the forefront when we're talking about deer in the Gunnison Basin is how's the how's the health of, of the deer like anywhere you know they're they're susceptible to to the weather you know harsh weather demands and um, so last year kind of going back to you know how are they doing now we have had such a mild winter it's been unbelievable um, and you know, the deer haven't even had to move down into some of the, the lower wintering, you know, traditional wintering ground uh, because it's been so mild and, and, you know, we've had minimal amount of, of snow, especially down in, like I said, the Gunnison Basin. I think we're only in the 60, 60, 65 percent um, snowpack range, and I would even say, you know, it's probably lower than that in some of the traditional deer and elk wintering uh, grounds for our Gunnison Valley here. So uh, they've, they've really had a chance, and I've been driving almost, you know, every day or every couple days to look and, and check out the deer, and, you know, they look great. Last year's fawns looked great, and the ones that did make it through, and, and those bucks, we're seeing them all look in really good health um, this year. So they really needed this mild winter to uh you know to, to kind of get back on the rebound a little bit i'll go back to 2017 it was not nearly as bad as what i think you know people outside of the valley uh thought it was you know like i said there were some horror stories like oh man it was 0708 all over again and that's just not accurate at all um we did 
for sure, you know, lose some fawn recruitment last year. Um, I think they had the division had estimated that the, the fawn survival was uh, low. I think 16% or somewhere in there, um, which is which is really low. Um, and then you know they also said that the does probably had about an 80% survival rate there, and and that's not too far off from a normal year. Um, I think normal year that's more like 85 or 86%. Um, so we also lost for sure. I would say some some of those really older age class bucks last year in the winter. Um, and what I saw with my own eyes last year while I was out hunting and guiding and in the area is that those two to, you know, four or five year old deer looked really good. And, and there was a, there was a lot of them around. So, so I think, you know, it's going to take some rebounding yet. Uh, this mild winter was one huge step towards rebounding. Um, but there's still, even last year, there were still great bucks to chase in our area in the Gunnison Basin, um, and, and I've heard of some really big deer that were killed. So um, anyway, the, the horror stories that you heard about last year weren't completely accurate. Yes, it was a hard winter for them. Uh, the difference between 07, 08 and what happened last year, the significant difference was, you know, even though there was a lot of snow last year, the weather was still really mild, so you didn't have those extreme cold conditions. When those extreme cold conditions are, you know, coincide with, deep snowpack that's when you you know you really it hits the deer hard and we just didn't have that last year it was pretty pretty mild we did have a lot of snow and and short amounts of time especially january here but you know the weather was pretty mild and that really helped the deer kind of struggle through that winter um to where it wasn't as bad as what it could have been with colder conditions well, that's that's good to know and good to hear. Um, your talk a little bit about you know each of your seasons with your archery, your muzzleloader, and into your firearm seasons. Um, you know how those hunts go with your high country camp. I mean, are you still doing those third and fourth seasons? Um, you know, kind of walk through each one. Yeah, so so traditionally AEI is just done, you know, kind of our forte and our specialty has been the early season high country deer hunts. Be like you said, because of our, you know, because of our location, um, we're hunting the high basins for archery and muzzleloader, um, and, and that's what we focus on is the above tree line bucks, that early season high country hunt. And so that's kind of our forte when it comes to deer hunting. Um, there's the possibility that we're going to be doing some rifle, you know, later rifle seasons in the future. But right now, kind of our focus is, is kind of the early season high country, um, spot and stalk style. And, and, you know, we're, we're, we're blessed with some phenomenal genetics in the Gunnison Basin and phenomenal habitat to make those bucks grow big and, and to be really healthy. And so, you know, it's, it's, and, and, and the other nice thing about our area is the access is pretty good. And so there's a lot of these basins that you're not having to walk or hike in miles and miles and miles to get to, to find some of these bigger deer. And, and, you know, of course, it, it helps to know the area well enough to know where to focus your time and efforts in which basins, for sure. But, uh, um, it, it, again, you know, the kind of the ad advantage of being able to be mobile for this area, even for deer hunting, 
just like elk hunting, it's 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 a big advantage in my opinion to be able to jump from basin to basin to to really target those bigger, more mature deer, which is what what we kind of like to do. I just um, was looking on your website and noticed you actually have taken a good dear friend of mine, Chad Converse, uh, on a deer hunt. Uh, oh yeah, it looks like last year, maybe the year before. I'm not sure. It, but it was a couple like years got... ago. Yeah, yeah. Chad had a muzzleloader um, elk tag. Uh, sorry, muzzleloader deer tag, and I actually am the one who guided him, and and he took a great kind of 180 class. Uh, you know, prototypical, beautiful in velvet four by four. It was it was a pretty phenomenal hunt and stalk, and he made a yeah, an awesome shot um, on this deer. And there's actually some video on our website of that of that hunt, or on my YouTube channel as well. Um, if you just search for for Rusted Bone Outdoors or Louis Foltz um, on YouTube, you can kind of check that video out. But he hammered this buck. I think it was about 110, 115 yards, and it twirled three times and then dumped over. It was a pretty awesome hunt. He's a great dude. Um, it looks like 12 points to draw. Looking at the Gohan Insider, it looks like 12 points to draw that 55 um, archery tag. Uh, and how many archery deer hunters do you typically take a year in your outfit? Yeah, so, so I'll, 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 st <laughs> I'll start this, this part of the conversation by saying last year is not the statistical um, – you know, it was an anomaly. It was an outlier, if you will, because what ha the Division of Wildlife, um, with the winter and and the unknown of what what impact it had on the deer, they dropped our numbers by literally 75, 80 percent last year from tag allocation. So, the numbers that are probably showing up from last year are not numbers that we want to bank on, um, because they're. My understanding is they'll probably add some more tags back into the allocation which actually this is the week they're actually deciding those numbers um, and and so they'll add some tags back which will pull those preference points needed to draw a tag down before last year the archery hunt was taking six points to guarantee the tag I think for non-residents it was five or six points but um, so so it jumped to 12 that's not a normal thing for us that's that's kind of as a result of that winter and the division of pulling the tags back almost 80 percent um, okay good to know good to know yeah so but but what i don't know you know the unknown is where's it gonna where's it gonna play out how's it gonna play out this year that i don't know because they haven't given us the the allocation numbers yet um and so you can normally how I many would, archery hunters do you take Normally, we'll only take, gosh, I don't like to take more than three, maybe four at the most. Um, and, and, you know, of course, there's not that many tags out. A normal year, uh, and I don't think they may not ever, you know, they may not ever go back to the numbers they had, you know, 2016-15 tag allocations. Um, and that's debatable whether or not they should. But uh, it, I think it's going to fall somewhere between where it was last year, tag allocation, which they only allocated 15 archery tags for the whole unit last year, which is why you see that, um, you know, that, that reflection of how many points it took to draw those tags. But um, I think it's probably going to fall somewhere between where they were and where they are this year and the next couple years. So maybe, you know, 25, 30 tags would be – a good place for them probably to land in the next couple of years 
which would then bring the amount of preference points it takes to draw that archery tag for deer, you know, down. Um, maybe it's somewhere in that six to eight point range. I'm not sure how that's going to play out again. We'll see this year. But um, but we, as an outfit, we kind of like to keep our opportunity high. And so we'll, you know, I won't, I don't, I don't like to have more than two guys per week um, in camp. And that, you know, two guys gives us plenty of free rain and lots of basins to kind of, you know, go find a good deer to get after. Um, and what I'm telling a lot of our guys and for our areas that, you know, I want to, we're going to be targeting, you know, reasonable expectation is, you know, probably those 170 class bucks we're, we're passing over and looking for something bigger. Um, unless somebody really just, you know, likes a deer in that class they want to go after, um, we're we're kind of averaging 180 inch deer on on our, you know, for our successful hunters. Um, but there's always and is it on five to you know to find that 200 plus inch class deer? Yeah, for sure. Um, let's see. Transition into the to the rifle hunts because of your high country camp. Uh, um, you you typically were not taking. Uh, third and fourth season hunters is mm -hmm. that yeah on, on on a year like last year where it was a mild fall but then you had a harsh fairly harsh well a fairly harsh winter that sometimes you wish that you could actually I mean it, I would think some of those deer actually probably stayed high last fall sometimes you probably wish that you you did hunt some of those third and fourth but I'm sure it's a crapshoot one year you might have weather and you have a hunter booked and there's not a deer in your concept like there's <laughs> yeah, no deer yeah, right so that's the that's sure. the challenge you face yeah absolutely and and you know like i said there's there's some possibilities and you know of us doing some later rifle season stuff in the future but we kind of are focusing in the high country you know the high country and early season stuff we see a lot of our deer leave town um in the northern part of the unit they're they're heading out of town you know sometimes the third week of September into the fourth week of September. Um, so, you know, wait until that second rifle season, which in Colorado, for those that don't know, you know, there's no first season allocated uh, rifle deer tags. The rifle deer hunts in Colorado start in the second season. Um, so that's, that's a big gap between, you know, deer. Rarely do we see deer hanging out in second rifle season at least in the the main you know northern part of the area that we hunt in we'll we'll see them sometimes lower you know as which is kind of in their transition habitat when they're moving through to their lower ground but it's just not you know try, trying to hunt timber bucks is is just not a great strategy no matter where you're hunting mule deer it's tough to find them in that timber and and until they pop out in their you know aspen transition you know sage type country um, it's, you know, it's tough to find them in that transition. So third and fourth season, though, generally, you know, in the in the BLM here in Gunnison and then some of that lower national forest stuff is transitionary. You can, you can, you're always going to have an opportunity to have a great, great hunt and, and potential of finding a true, true giant. That's just kind of the nature of the Gunnison deer out here, not just 55, but, you know, 54, 551, 66, 67, all those units um, hold similar genetics and, and habitat to grow big, big trophy quality bucks. Let's talk about mountain goats, one of your passions. 
Yeah, gosh, we, we have a really great um, area here, G13, uh, G2, and G3 we can guide in as well, but G13 is literally our back door. We look out the back of the camp. We're looking at the Collegiate Peaks Range and G13 area, and we can we can glass for, for goats literally out of our back door there at the camp. And so, um, you know, it's it's I'd say in Colorado, I think, you know, if you look at the statistics, it's one of the easier tags you could probably um, draw in Colorado. And, and we have two seasons. We have a first rifle season and a second rifle season. Um, and, you know, the population of goats in, our, in that Collegiate Peaks range is probably as big as anywhere in the state. Um, so we have, we have great goat hunting. We took two guys last year. Both of them were successful. My, my hunter that I took was a Utah resident. And uh, he he uh, miraculously drew out with I think three plus one point, um, so he only had one one bonus point I think. Um, and in Colorado, you need to you need to have at least three preference points to be in the draw for those bigger species like the sheep, um, et cetera, the goats. Um, but anyway, so yeah, he had a tag, and we we on day one he shot a an awesome nine year old Billy. Uh, at about a 350 yard shot and just hammered them and and big old goat that's a big old goat for colorado i think his horns were you know both both of them were kind of pushing in that nine inch mark which for colorado is a really great really great goat so we, we we've got the country to have a lot of goats and you know there's a chance of killing a really big one as well but it's an adventure of a lifetime and and you know just they're so amazing those creatures are so amazing that uh you know, being able to be on that experience, you know, whether you have the tag in hand or not is just, you know, something that, um, you know, you'll never, 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 never forget because it's such big adventure and, and there's, you know, hunting them in that location above treeline and the gnarly rocks and the, you know, the craggy mountains is, is, it's something. On those hunts, are you staying, are you like staying up you know, backpacking overnight because you're so far up in there, or are they day hunts as well? You know, it kind of depends. Um, you know, just like our our deer hunts specifically, uh, our goat hunts are the same way. If we know we have somebody that's hunting deer or goats, I mean, we're, you know, regardless, we're spending all summer glassing, glassing this country, and so we have a pretty good idea of which goats are in which basin and which deer are in which basins. And so ahead of time, if, if there's a goat, you know, a good billy that we're seeing or a good group of billies that, that's approachable in a day hunt scenario, which sometimes they are, then maybe we're just staying at base camp and we're, you know, hiking in on a day-to-day -day basis. But, um, you know, an example last year with, with, um, uh, with the, my goat hunter, uh, I had spotted some billies in this basin that just wouldn't have made sense to, you know, try to hike into on a day basis. So we packed in camp the day before, and then next morning, you know, we were right there at tree line and able to, you know, get an approach and find find one of those billies and, and get after them. So um, it really kind of depends on where we're finding uh, the good-looking good billies and, and, you know, what kind of approach we want to make based on, those goats and where they are same same you know same kind of concept with deer as well we don't necessarily have to 
be you know backpacking in somewhere to to get into some of those really good deer that really good deer country a lot of times if we know they're in a certain basin that we can get to on a day hunt then then that's that's what we're going to do we just wake up a little bit earlier to to travel up and get in position i want to talk to you about uh your summer stuff as well but before i do that i got a question for you so last year last summer i did the um crested butte to aspen hike to check out all the columbine flowers mm-hmm. so i think we went over west maroon pass so when i started on the crested butte side and went over west maroon pass would that be in 55 yeah the front end of that would have been um you would have been in 55 initially, and and then you know, so I'm, I'm trying to think, get my perspective here. That you probably bounced into Unit 43 after that, um, but okay, you so would have started. Crossed over. Yeah, you you would have yeah, once you cross over. I think the Continental Divide comes through right there, and that's kind of where where that northern part of the boundary is. Um, and then Unit 55 goes a little bit further west, and then cuts back south. Uh, down, you know, kind of south of Crested Butte. There's a little section on the other side of the Highway 135 that goes through there. But, yeah, you would have started in 55 in in that country, and then you bounced over into probably 43 um, or 4, 471, 47, yeah, and the, 471's in there somewhere too. But, anyway, probably 43 would be my guess is where you went into. The Columbines um, were amazing. I mean, they were bouquets of, it was just amazing. I mean, it was, it was, I don't, I took pictures and it's like, I look back at my pictures and it, it doesn't, it, you can't even explain it. The columbine is such a cool flower. Um, yeah. and I know it sounds a little, little weird that I'm talking about flowers, but they're just amazing. <laughs> um, would you agree in that high country, those columbines are just, I mean, it is something if oh, you gosh, haven't it's, done it. It's, it's spectacular. Not just the columbine. I mean, you get, just to, you know, and that's and that's why I think the deer should do so well in these high basins in here is because they literally have a salad bar <laughs> of flowers yeah. that they can eat on all day, all summer long, and and you know you go through starting in early part of the season, um, you know your 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 fl- what what flowers actually flower they kind of change throughout the season, but there's always just a literal salad bar for them to to eat and and when you you know spend time in it you uh you got you get to see all that stuff and it's just cool you know i think you know for me hunting's not just about the stuff that you kill but getting experience things like that from the intricacy of of a columbine um you know to rock formations to just you know in, in creation in itself it just kind of adds that much more value and significance to the things that you're doing in the outdoors for sure and i i assume in your um high country camp um you've got a lot of aspen and and about that third week of uh second to third week and and on into the end of september you know and even into into the first part of october the leaf color changes uh just absolutely spectacular do you get quite a bit of aspen in your country and and is it you know i know that crested butte and even where i summer here you know kind of around the aspen area and stuff it's phenomenal is it really good over where you're at too 
the portions of our area is I'd say you know kind of a majority of our area is more yeah kind of dark timber with interspersed meadows with few pockets of aspen but the further you go south in our area the more you see those big you know kind of prototypical aspen groves and then of course closer you get to crested butte on the west side of unit 55 you see more and more big aspen stands and in the fall it's just you know it's spectacular as you know and um you know i <clears throat> just fortunate enough to to moved to Gunnison. My wife and I and family moved to Gunnison full-time last year, and, and so we were able to, you know, the break between archery season and rifle season, just drive some of the roads around here, and especially at Kevlar Pass. Oh, my goodness. It's literally probably the, the most gorgeous drive that I've ever been on in the fall, and that, you know, that, that early October is like prime time when you just see the valley explode with with gold um, and and just brilliant gold and orange and reds and um, you know it's 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 pretty awesome and and having that so close and and you know you start to see those aspens transition and change mid September in our area um, so while you're out in the field elk hunting and whatnot it can be pretty pretty spectacular as well. Yeah, one thing I didn't ask about was bear. Um, do you guys offer bear hunting and? Um, I assume, we, like most of Colorado, you know, Colorado's just getting infested with bears. You know, it's uh, our area, for whatever reason, we just don't have a lot of bears. Well, we'll see them on occasion, but to focus on a, a bear hunt for us just wouldn't, I don't think it would really be that fruitful, to be honest with you. Um, now, further south in 55, uh, and then, of course, over in the West Elks area, 54, 50, over towards Paonia, a little further west of us, the Gunnison Valley, there's there's a lot of bears. And then, you know, like I said, southern part of 55, you can see a pretty decent amount of bears. But in the northern section that we're in, we just don't see a whole lot. I, you know, maybe, at, you know, me who, who, you know, guides a handful of weeks during the season and also spends some time with, with a bow in my own hand, um, if I see two bears, the context of those six weeks, that's, you know, that's, that's pretty darn good for me. So focusing on them uh, just, you know, wouldn't be a great strategy in the northern part of the area that we are. Okay. Um, let's talk about your summer. You also guide fishermen in the summer, and then you've also got some youth um, camps that uh, uh, I want to ask you about. So Talk yeah, a little bit about absolutely. that side we've, of your operation. Got, for sure. We've got some amazing fly fishing country here in the Gunnison Valley and and our our literally our backyard or our front yard is the Taylor River. Um and, and you know, the Taylor River comes out from, from Taylor Park, which is where our camp is located, and it, it comes down and it meets with the East River that comes out of Crested Butte to form the Gunnison River and all those fisheries are just phenomenal and we do so we do a lot of walkway trips. We've got some on-property stuff, too, where we, you know, we take in a lot of people to just teach them how to fly fish. We have some trout ponds on site and a small, you know, trout stream that's loaded with brookies and browns and rainbows. And then, you know, Taylor River is literally our, our front, front door at our driveway. Um, and so we do a lot of trips on the Taylor, and then we float the Gunnison as well. So from Allmont down, we can... 
we can do, you know, guided float trips on the on the upper Gunnison stretch, as well as, and I know we connected about this at the show um, in Utah, the Lake Fork of the Gunnison. We can we can do some trips out there as well, and that's a pretty pretty underrated uh, fishery in my my opinion. Yeah, beautiful place for sure. Tell me about these um, youth camps you're doing. Yeah, so we, um, something new we're starting this year that super excited about, um, as, as, you know, a lot of people recognize, I think, like, you know, we're, we're, we need to figure out as a, as a community of hunters and fishers, we need to, we need to figure out a better way to involve the youth, um, in, in outdoor pursuits and adventure. And so one of the things that we're doing this year is, starting a we call it a hunting and fishing skills camp at our base camp there and so we're going to spend a week just you know learning fundamentals of fly fishing and and we're going to do archery and do a 3d shoot and teach you some archery skills we're gonna um we're doing a backpacking trip and uh we're going to take the you know the kids up into the backcountry and take some spotting scopes and binoculars and teach you how to pick apart terrain and look for you know, big game animals, um, and we're going to, you know, on that backpacking trip, we're going to teach you, you know, basic fundamentals of, of, of wilderness travel, um, including navigation, orienteering techniques, and, uh, you know, maybe spend some time fly fishing in a high alpine lake. Um, but this camp is specifically designed for uh, teenagers, so 13 to 18-year-olds, uh, boys or girls, and I think it's going to be a pretty pretty awesome week. And I'm hoping to, you know, do one or two of these camps every summer to really help introduce people to just the sport of hunting and fishing, and and teach them skills that they may not be able to learn in any other environment. That's awesome. Uh, how do they sign up for that, or what do they need to do? Yeah, for sure. So, so you can go and and find out more information about our base camp, um, and and our website is aeibasecamp.com. And so, you know, outside of what we do in AEI Outfitter, we have a wilderness adventure um, program in the summer where we bring kids and adults of all ages into camp to do high adventure uh, retreats and camps and, you know, teach leadership principles or spiritual principles. Um, and we're doing rock climbing and backpacking and whitewater rafting and kayaking on Taylor Reservoir and all kind of high adventure activities and, and you know, kind of using that platform to help people grow as a community and, and grow, um, you know, grow as a person and, and, you know, be challenged spiritually and mentally and physically. Um, and so, anyway, so that's where the AEI Base Camp comes from. That's our summer program. And you can find out more about the Hunting and Fishing Skills Camp. And you can register by going to AEIBaseCamp.com. Awesome. You're also on Facebook, is that right? We are. We are on Facebook. Um, and uh, that's, a, that's a great way to, you know, all the contact information and, you know, you can connect through Facebook as well. And all of the information, uh, contact information, it's, you know, gets filtered through me. So any of that stuff that's on our website, um, 
or on the Facebook page comes through me so you can get in direct contact with me that way. Awesome, man. Do you, um, on a personal note, do you down, do you alpine ski yourself or cross country or do you do any of that? You know, I don't. I, I am a, uh, I'm one of those snowboarder guys. Um, and I, one of those, huh? <laughs> one, of, one of those. And I'll tell you, I did a lot more snowboarding, uh, pre kids than post kids. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> my kids are getting old enough now to where they're, they're, you know, they're, we started them on the slopes this year up at Crested Butte and, and I look forward to kind of being able to do more of that stuff. But, you know, I've done some backcountry snowboarding, um, is a pretty, pretty normal thing for me. Um, not just the, the re- resorty, uh, type of snowboarder, but some of the backcountry stuff I really enjoy. And I'm, you know, living in Gunnison full time now, I'm excited to kind of explore some of those possibilities and opportunities but maybe one day when my body breaks down a little bit more then then you know maybe i'll start to throw some skis on which is probably not that far away after all the, uh, <laughs> the beatings my body has taken from being on a snowboard over the years well man it's been awesome having you on i appreciate you sharing your knowledge about colorado and um look forward to seeing you down the road maybe we'll have to go out and do some fishing this summer when i get back uh uh, I'm in Colorado here for a brief time and head back for my Gould's turkey hunts uh, down in Mexico. And then when those get done, we'll be back here. So, uh, yeah, have to um, bring the raft over and come terrorize some of your fish over there maybe and um, hook up with you. So uh, I'll, hey, that, I'll link up your great. website. I'll link up your website in the show notes of this podcast and uh, just appreciate your time and um, congratulate you on the success you've been having. Yeah, thanks, Jay. Thanks for having me on. Look forward to connecting with you as well, and we'll we'll hit the water for sure. I I, I know a few good spots to go. You probably do as well, but um, look forward to it. Thanks for having me on. Sounds good, buddy. Take care. All right. Bye-bye.